All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. A little juju is the way. It's how I start my day. Camfer no say. And I'll never give it play. I'll take your photos to the grave. But that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from a bay to make them stay. Cause I hate when Bailey's, but I manifest a little with my Bailey's. I'm my ancestor's baby, so I give them everything that they gave me. Hey bays, welcome to A Little Juju Podcast, the podcast all about black ass spirituality, honoring the ancestors, honoring ourselves, decolonizing our spiritual practices and getting free because I believe that freedom is possible and that it will come if we utilize the guidance of our spirits and our ancestors. I'm your host, Juju, and I am... Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually really happy right now, but this past couple weeks has been wild as hell. <laughs> it's been so wild. But it's the beginning of cancer season, and I'm feeling good. This is my season. This is my energy. I have a lot of cancer up in my chart, so that means I'm on like 10 with the feelings right now. I'm on 10 with the emotions. I'm on 10 with the... <laughs> trauma resurfacing. I'm just on 10 with all of that. But it's good. We need cancer season. We need feelings. People don't like cancers or people don't like cancer season because they just want to turn up. You know, Gemini season, everyone's lit. Everyone's turning up. Everyone's going here and there in everyone's business, doing the things. And then cancer season comes and it's time to go inward. And people don't like to go inward. So then people take it out on cancers and people take it out on cancer season. Go with it. Move with it. Go with it. Anyway, if you would like to keep up with the conversation of A Little Juju Podcast, you can always hit the hashtag A Little Juju Podcast or hashtag ALJ Pod. I'm very excited about this episode today because everyone has been wondering my thoughts on She's Gotta Have It season two. And this episode, I will be talking about my thoughts specifically around um, a particular episode that had a lot of spiritual and Orisha references in it. And y'all will know how I felt about the show, how I felt about the season and all of that jazz. But first, before we get into that, I want to actually have an ode to cancer season. All you need is a little juju. What a time to be alive and just feel the things, you know? God has blessed the cancer who provides loving spaces for us to tap into the depths of our emotions, to process them, and start the healing revolution, okay? Cancers are your best friends. Cancers are... If your child has a best friend, you want your child's best friend to be a cancer, you know, because we're so loving. We're so caring. We care about safety. We care about comfortability. Cancers remind us that there's good people in this world. 
can't just take care. We're so good at taking care of our loved ones, taking care of ourselves and just know the importance of people being comfortable and people being able to feel safe. And we value that. Cancers, you know, we hold so many secrets with care and love. People trust us. And we encourage folks to feel. And I think in a a society and world that doesn't want us to feel, or in a lot of ways, we're not allowed to feel, specifically some of us with particular identities are supposed to hide our feelings. Sissy is black folk. Cancer season wants us to to do that that intense deep dive into what is going on in our lives. How can we start a healing journey? What do we need to feel comfortable? What do we need to feel good? Because cancer season is also about, you know, is ruled by the moon and the moon wants to give us things. You know, the moon is mother. Mother spoils. (laughs) Okay. So what do we need to feel good? What does abundance feel like for you? Where where can you find spaces in your life where you could be more abundant? And that's also with how you care for yourself, how you care for others, your friendships. So cancer season wants us to assess. Assess what's going on. We need to do that. It's important. As, me- as messy as it can feel, as nasty as it can feel, it's okay to be in solitude and do that work. But you can also do it in community. Cancers love friends and family time, spending time. I'm a cancer that's a fake homebody. I am a homebody, but I do like to go out because I like to be around people. I love community. And I think there's there's a lot of joy that can be found and being around the people that we love and care for. So also it's a time to like connect, connect with the people. If you haven't seen a friend in a while, hit that friend up, you know, that's, that's the cancer energy. You know what I'm saying? So feel it, feel the love, feel the love of yourself, breathe it in, be grateful, practice. Yeah. Just practice gratefulness in your life and feel the feels. X out the things that don't make you feel good. I don't care what it is. You deserve to be comfortable. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be, you know, in a nice, have a silk pillowcase or whatever the hell you need, you know? Like, you deserve to beat your face if that's what you need to do. You deserve to have a good meal where your stomach feels full. You know, that's cancer energy. So tap into that and have the best cancer season ever. Cancer slander will never be tolerated in my presence. And um, it's so funny because I remember one time on Instagram, I was like, what sign gets on all y'all's nerves? And and like, I will say 80% was cancer. And I was shook. I was like, well, we don't like, so we like Gemini's now? I personally love Gemini's, but Gemini's used to get a lot of hate. I'm like, oh, no Gemini hate? No Aries hate? Cancer? Cancer? And then that's when I knew something was really wrong with the world. <laughs> that's when I knew what something was really wrong with the world when I, it was like 85% cancer slander. And I'm like, no, y'all can't be slandering cancers and then be in my inbox saying how much y'all love me and I feel like y'all best friend and I, you feel like, you know, we take care of each other and that I take care of you. You can't benefit from the cancer energy and then say you don't like cancers. I am a cancer through and through. So if you don't fuck with me, then okay, maybe you, that's okay because you don't like cancers and that's fine. But if you fuck with me and you don't like cancers, that can't happen because I am the epitome of all things a cancer is. Even down to the things that are really messed up about us. Like we can be, we can be a little, we can be a little, we can, we can do too much. <laughs> we can, we are, we do like a good drama, especially about ourselves. 
and we do love to self-sacrifice and be martyrs. So also be aware of that during this time. Be aware of um, manipulation during this time. That's also cancer energy, though we don't like to talk about that. But yes. Anyway, I just wanted to shout out cancer season. I just wanted to shout out being the cancer. Shout out to all of my cancers. Even if you got a little cancer rising or cancer moon, even the cancer venuses. I'm saying, hey, boo, I see you. This is going to take us through a little bit of a time too because of our charts, but let the moon love on you, love on the moon, love on yourself. And we're going to make it through cancer season. We're going to have so much fun. We got to prepare for these wild ass Leos. So let's just go inward before Leo season comes and makes it all about them. Okay. (laughs) All you need is a little juju. Alrighty. So a little juju podcast is hosted, edited, produced, written, everything by... Me, my black ass, just me. Sometimes with a little bit of help with uh, some editing, but everything else is on me. And so I like to ask for donations from folks who listen as a way to help support this podcast, as a way to help sustain this podcast and keep the podcast afloat. As uh, um, Queen says on the podcast, T with Queen and Jay, to keep the lights on because it ain't free. So one of the ways that you can help donate, if you do love this podcast, if you do appreciate the information, if you do appreciate all the research and everything that I do to help you all, monetary donations are super, super helpful for me. So there's a couple ways that you can help donate monetarily. First way is through Patreon and Patreon is a site where I ask for $3 a month. So the first of every month. $3 $3 will come out of your account and it will go towards me to be able to keep the podcast afloat, keep the lights on the podcast. You can donate more than $3 a month. You can donate less than $3 a month. But I just asked for $3 a month, $36 a year. You can go on patreon.com slash jujubay. That will be in the show notes and help a sister out. The second way that you can, a more non-committal way to donate is just through my cash app. Just want to send a little coin my way. You're thinking of me. You listen to the podcast. Like, let me send a little coin over. You can... um. My cash app is dollar sign, I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E. So dollar sign, it's Jujubay. And then also have a PayPal if you want to send a donation that way through thejujubay at gmail.com. You can send it through PayPal. Now, I just want to shout out my patrons, the folks that have made the commitment to support a Little Juju podcast monthly. And so my first shout out is to Honey. Thank you for becoming a patron, Honey. I also like to shout out Kiera. Thank you for becoming a patron, Adina Page. Thank you, boo. Brandy Beeks, thank you for becoming a patron. Uh, down ass, period, goddess, down ass goddess, became a patron. Thank you, love. La Serpiente Paloma became a patron. Thank you. And Mara Livermore. I might have actually shout out Mara Livermore last episode, but another shout out for Mara. Thank you for becoming a patron. I appreciate all of you. Thank you for helping me keep the lights on. Help you. Thank you for helping me sustain this work and do this work, spread the juju gospel. And I just want to send the energy of abundance and money right back to you as you've shared it with me. I appreciate you and may all the money that you all need uh, come to you tenfold, come to you tenfold. What you donate to me, I speak that you get it back tenfold so that you have the coins and the money to be able to do the things that you want to do. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't take sharing money lightly at all. So I appreciate you all and sending that love to folks who hit me up on the Cash App and PayPal too. But I always just want to shout out my my patrons. Thank y'all, I love you. So another way that you can donate to the podcast is through 
talking about the podcast, letting people know about A Little Juju Podcast, putting them on to the good word, rating and subscribing the show on Apple Podcasts, whatever platform that you have. Um, I love reading the reviews that you all put and five-star ratings on Apple and hearts on SoundCloud and comments. All of that are ways that help support the podcast too. It helps get the word out and it helps the show to continue to grow. So that is also another way to donate. So, and I appreciate those ways too. A lot of folks always just tagging me on IG and making posts about the pie. So appreciate that. Oh my God, it's so loud outside. Ugh. Maybe one day some of these coins and these donations can go towards me getting a studio or being in a place that's quiet. Oh God. All you need is a little juju. So it is officially summertime and this summer has been named Hot Girl Summer. And Hot Girl Summer came from Megan Thee Stallion. This is real hot girl shit. If you are not familiar with who Megan Thee Stallion is, Megan Thee Stallion is a rapper out of Houston. And she is tall and gorgeous and fine. And she's a stallion. You know, a stallion is a, a slang word or term used to describe tall, thick women. So her, her rap name is Megan Thee Stallion. If you have not heard of Megan Thee Stallion, I recommend you check her out. Now, I just briefly wanted to talk about, because this is the first A Little Juju podcast episode of summer, and I am obsessed with Megan Thee Stallion, Stallion, and this is a real hot girl summer, I needed to uplift our good sis Megan. So Megan Thee Stallion, she's been out for a while, but she's really just getting like popularity in the mainstream as a rapper. Her most popular song is... Um, Big old freak. So if you haven't heard Megan, go and listen to Big Old Freak. Now Megan Thee Stallion, I think she's a witch. I have a whole theory around Megan Thee Stallion and how she has just come to awaken the divine feminine in us all. She has come to bring together women and femmes of all kinds to create community, to love on each other, to work together. And I feel like she has just started her own little tribe, her own little nation of people. She actually lost both of her parents. Her dad died. I don't know how long ago her dad died, but her mother died pretty recently. And it's interesting to me because after her mom died, it seems like she started to soar into fame even more than she was before. Like it's just, everything just started picking up after her mother died, which obviously my theory is that her mother went to the ancestral realm and is turning up in there. She's doing a lot of work for young Meg. And her mom was also a rapper in Houston too. So I think that that's interesting just from my, from my standpoint, just like how she passed. And then she's like, like she's skyrocketing into fame very quickly. And, um, also, people really love Megan Thee Stallion because she's, like, natural. Like, that's the whole thing that people say. Like, she hasn't had, well, at least she doesn't, she says that she has not had any surgery. So, she has, like, a natural body. She's still thick. And everyone's like, ooh, natural, ooh, Megan. Um, but it's interesting. Let me say this. When Megan Thee Stallion first came out, I wasn't actually feeling her music. And I was like, she fine. Like, yeah, she fine. Her music's all right. Like, she's she cool. But then there's something. Like, you listen to the songs more and you just look at her more. And I really think she's jujuing us in the best way. I think that there is something with Megan that is supposed to be, like, attracting all of us. That is supposed to be making us think about some deep shit. That is supposed to be wanting us to love on each other. Like, she's bringing a lot of rappers, like female rappers together, not starting beef, bringing them all out to parties because she throws these like hot girl parties in different cities. And at the party, she does this thing called driving the boat. So she like pours 
she used to pour Hennessy, but now she pours Douce. She pours like Douce in people's mouths and she like holds their chin and they just like are drinking from the bottle. Like she shares the bottle with her fans. She shares the bottle with like other rappers. And there's this whole thing that she does is driving the boat. So everyone's like, oh, I want to drive the boat. Or like, I want to go to this party with Megan Thee Stallion and drive the boat. That means that they want to be like anointed, blessed by Megan. I really feel like she is a witch. I feel like she has descended from the heavens. And when she like anoints you, like if you get the boat driven by Megan, like I feel like you would go win the lottery or something. Like I need to go drive the boat because I really think that she is a witch and she's blessing people in mass and she has jujued us all in the best ways. And actually in one song, I can't remember what song it is. She says something about being Creole. And so, you know, niggas think that she's going to do voodoo on them, but she, she, she's not. She's so she claims. I can't remember the song. But yeah, I just needed to talk about Megan Thee Stallion really quick because I really, 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 really think there's just something with her that is deeply spiritual. And because sometimes I'm like, do I like her music? I do like her music. I actually love her music. But I'm like, is it? I'm not trying to say her music isn't good. It is good. But it's almost like there's something making me like it. There's something about her energy that makes me like her music more. There's something about her personality. There's something about the way that she shows up and treats people and how she talks that is so alluring and so irresistible that I just can't not fuck with her. And I feel like I've heard other people say that about her. Like we just see her and we just see like some kind of divinity. I really think that she is completely divine and she's a witch and she came here to like awaken the divine feminine because she's all about getting you know your money abundance sex pleasure on your on her terms like pleasuring a woman's body on their terms like making the sex about me like about us and saying no when we don't want to and not claiming these niggas like it's it's just so much of that energy which i think we need to balance out the energy from a lot of other rap and trap music that are like, we don't care about these bitches. We don't love these bitches. We don't, you know, whatever these bitches. And Megan's like, no, you're actually going to care about me or I'm not going to keep you in my space. And I think that that's a message that we need to hear. And she came down to awaken that in all of us. And I live for it. And she's just beautiful and tall. She's representing for the tall girls. Because, you know, people be hating and throwing shade to the tall girls. I'm not a tall girl. I'm short. I'm hella short. But there is a very real, like... There are real, there's a real stigma against women who are tall because it doesn't fit into our ideas of femininity. It doesn't fit into our ideas of what, what cute is and beautiful is. And you're like, oh, you're taller than most men. Like that's unattractive. And she just came and was like, yes, I'm tall. Yes, I'm thick. Yes, I'm this. I'm country as hell. She got a deep voice too. It's real. Like she got a, a husky voice and that's how she raps. And she's like, everything, the pleasure is on my terms. I deserve pleasure. And she's like loving on other women women rappers and bringing them all out together and squashing beefs between them and then her mom passed she hasn't talked much about her mom passing which i also find very interesting because her mom she was she talked the one time she really did talk about in a quick interview saying like her mom used to go everywhere with her and now like she's obviously not everywhere with her and that's in the physical sense but she doesn't really make posts about her parents too much but she's like she has no, no parents and she is out here killing the game and winning over hearts in mass and very quickly. So I think that we have just a lot to expect from her. She has not done anything 
extremely problematic right now. So people haven't canceled her for anything. To my knowledge, she hasn't said anything where people are like, oh, we don't like Megan. Because, you know, Cardi, Cardi was deeply problematic. So people were canceling Cardi left and right because of so many different comments that she said around certain different groups of people. Dark-skinned people, um, trans people, gay people, Cardi was out here. But Megan hasn't done any of that. So I'm, I think that something will happen eventually. Everyone gets caught up in something. So I think she'll get up, caught up in something, but I think she's going to handle it very well because of this divinity that she has with her, whatever spirits that she has around her. She's going to be well. She's going to be good. She's going to be fine. She's going to make it do what it do. She's going to move through that, the people who are trying to stop her and be successful. She's... She's not super blown. I mean, she's popular, but she's not like Cardi popular yet. She's not Nikki popular, but I think she's going to be Nikki status. I, I really do. I think she's going to stick around for a while and keep bringing us the heat. I really do. At least I hope so. But I feel that about her. I feel like I'm low-key about to start reading her <laughs> right now. But I do feel that about her, especially because both of her parents are in the ancestral realm and her mom being a rapper, her mom having went with her everywhere. I think her mom is able to help her and assist her in a way that she wasn't able to when she was a part of the physical realm, when she was around her. But now that she's an ancestor, she can literally be there with her at every time, literally go about protecting her in all the ways that she needs, literally bring her to the people that she needs to go to and expand her brand, expand her business, expand her music. And I think she's going to just come back harder and harder each time. So I think she's around to stay because of the work that she's doing and because of the ways that she's anointing people. And I, I, I think this is anointed. <laughs> I sound like a wild stand right now, but I really like there's something with her. There's really, really something extremely powerful with her. So if you haven't checked out Megan Thee Stallion, check her out. Listen to her music. I will put her IG and everything in the show notes. Maybe a link to her website or big old freak or something because sister's golden. Sister's golden. Okay, that was just my little Megan Thee Stallion spiel. Now let's get to why y'all came here. I mean, y'all came here for everything. You know what I'm saying? But let's talk about this. She's got to have it. All you need is a little juju. Okay, so let's get into this She's Gotta Have It review. So for those who don't know, little backstory, She's Gotta Have It is a show that is based on a movie by Spike Lee. And Spike, this movie is out, oh goodness, maybe 80s? Oh, I'm not sure. I think it came out in the 80s. I'm sorry if, I'm, if I don't know. Anyway, so the movie came out, good movie, it's about this black woman 20 something basically trying to figure out life she has many lovers she's a free spirit she's an artist and you know it's just a story about that and her like stepping into her own womanhood figuring out what that means finding her place in society it takes place in brooklyn and fort green um in the movie kind of i mean in the show and the movie sort of follows her interactions with like her her partners and you know it's just that's basically the the theme of of the show so she has different like three different main lovers and you see her interactions with all of them and she's real messy she has she's actually very messy <laughs> so that is she's got to have a backstory so uh like i said spike lee has now created a series of the show and now we're on season two so season one kind of came out last oh i don't remember when season one came out a few months ago a few months back what was it over a year no a few months back and I personally found season one to be extremely corny. <laughs> I found the acting not to be so good. And I found the show to 
for me, it felt like it's a bunch of people who are not millennials and are not 20 something trying to write about being a millennial and trying to write about being a 20 something and trying to be current. And it just didn't hit the mark to me, especially in season one. I was just like, huh? But at the same time, there's something about it that I find very addicting. There's something about it that I really like. I think the concept of who Nola Darling is in the characters is interesting to me. I think that I, I get what they're trying to do or what he's trying to do with the show. I just don't think it lands all the way because it feels a little bit out of touch. If it, it feels, yeah, it feels a little bit out of touch. But if you would like a full review of season one, if she's got to have it and also season two, you should check out Tea with Queen and Jay podcast. I'll put the link to um, their season one review and season two review in the show notes because they go through each episode. I will not be going through each episode, baby girl. I will just be going through um, season two, episode seven because of the spiritual references and themes that we see in the, in the show. And a lot of people were wondering my thoughts on it and yeah, what was going on. So I'm here to speak on that particular episode, but I did just want to give you all a backstory. So this will have spoilers, all of that, okay? So season two, episode seven, is one of the characters he is one of nola's former lovers but now they're just friends whatever so mars the character mars he's also let me just say very puerto rican very boricua very brooklyn silly he's like the comedic relief of the show so mars opens up the show talking about puerto rico because um, Nola, the main character, Mars, um, Shemeca, who is Nola's best friend, and also Winnie, I think, who was played by Fat Joe. They're all going to Puerto Rico to help with the relief. So as folks, I, I hope know, there was a hurricane in, in real life in Puerto Rico that destroyed a lot of the country, and particularly uh, San Juan, which is the capital. And the relief uh, in a lot of ways the the states the united states has not i mean as they often do to black and brown countries responded in the way that puerto rican people have seen help um similar to like katrina similar to a lot of places so yes yeah, so that happened in real life i'm not going to assume everyone knows about that i know all my listeners are also not from the us so in the show, they wrote in around the hurricane that happened in Puerto Rico. So the characters in the show were going to provide some assistance, some relief, donate, just help out in San Juan. So Mars in the opening is talking about the colonization of Puerto Rico. He's talking about Christopher Columbus, Cristobal Colón, uh, coming to Puerto Rico, getting lost and, co- and colonizing the space on behalf of the, the Queen of Spain. And the indigenous people who lived on the island of Puerto Rico, which were the Tainos, and then the the um, transatlantic slave trade, and then our ancestors being brought into Puerto Rico. So that has also can explain some of the mixing of cultures and why Puerto Rico is like lots of brown folks, lots of black people, lots of um, you know European people. That Puerto Ricans like just range in color, and so he's just kind of talking about that. And not deranging in color, but just like the Tainos and then the Europeans and then the African enslaved Africans who were brought to Puerto Rico. 
Um, so yeah, I liked that kind of opening. It was just like this whole fuck Christopher Columbus kind of thing. So then you see the characters go to their Airbnb. They get an Airbnb. It's kind of like trash, but <laughs> whatever. They got this trash Airbnb. And uh, the next important scene I think to, I want to talk about is later that night in Puerto Rico, they're at a ocean and they're there really late. It's a lot of other people and it's really dark outside and they were talking about um, needing to go to the waters at midnight and to dunk themselves in the water. So Mars's sister is a priest of Yemaya. And I think that we found that out. I think she's a priest of Yemaya uh, in the show. Her character is. We found that out in episode, in season one because she gave Nola a spiritual bath and she was talking about Yemaya. And so uh, Mars's sister, Lulu was like, come on guys, it's 12 de la noche. We got to go in the water. So walk backwards into the ocean, um, walk backwards into the water and we have to dunk ourselves seven times. And that's what they do. And Mars says while they're like, doing this like falling into the water seven times you know we got to get rid of this negativity and I thought that that was very interesting because it seemed like that had something to do with the Orisha or some type of blessing or cleansing that was happening but I'm still unsure so we know that well we might not know I'm gonna tell you that Yamaya's number Yamaya is an Orisha the Orisha of the ocean of the 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 waters Yamaya is a the goddess Yamaya is the mother Orisha and her number is seven and so the fact that they dunked themselves seven times I felt like this was some type of ceremony though I'm not privy to what that is or know exactly what they were doing I thought it was interesting um and I think it does have something to do with with the Orisha just because they had to dunk themselves seven times and they were at the ocean and then Mars's sister was kind of talking about it and Mars said the thing about getting rid of negativity. So it seemed like some type of cleansing that was happening and that happened on their first night there to my knowledge. So then the scene kind of cuts to Mars is praying to God in the Airbnb a little bit later and um, he's just praying for Junior and he's praying for his dad um, and Junior. They made reference to um, this had a lot of publicity. Junior was a 15 year old boy who was murdered in the Bronx because people like a gang saw him and thought that he was a part of a rival gang. He wasn't and he was murdered. Um, so Mars is in the Airbnb on his knees praying while uh, Winnie, the other character, Fat Joe's character is asleep and he's praying to God he says for for Junior and for his dad, who also passed away to his knowledge. So I thought that was I just wanted to uplift that too. It was just a very small part, but this this honoring of ancestors, even from Mars, while he's praying, praying to God, and uplifting like Junior and his dad. So then, you know, next scene, they're in Puerto Rico to do some relief work. So Nola and Mars are going to after school programs and donating money, donating supplies. They go to one for children. They're talking to the children, watching them paint. And we get a little bit of history around the program. And these all seem like real places in Puerto Rico that are actually doing real work and accepting donations and all of that so that is something that i really did like and do like about the show that it brings in things that are actually happening in real time and highlights important people who are doing the work highlights important organizations doing the work art artists all of that 
So I do like that. So we just see them in different places, going to different spots in Puerto Rico and offering supplies and money and things. They go to Carmelo Anthony's. Um, I think he built a, a, a court or a gym. I remember what it's called, like an outdoor one in Puerto Rico and it got destroyed and then it was rebuilt. So you see them go there. And so the part that gets really interesting around the spirituality part is when they go to see Mars's mother. So Mars's mother, I think she used to live in Brooklyn with all of them, but then she moved back to Puerto Rico. So Lulu is already in the house. That's the sister. Lulu's in the house and greets Nola and Mars because they're there to see the mom and Mars hasn't seen his mom in a while. So as they're sitting down, uh, waiting for the mom to come out, Mars, Mars and Nola are sitting on like her plastic couch. <laughs> Y'all know the plastic couch? Mama had a plastic couch. So they're sitting on the plastic couch and you have this moment that uh, Nola is panning the room and she's looking at all the different Orishas that are present in the room. So she's looking at all the shrines that are in the room. And she has a moment of really like looking at the Oshun shrine and we were supposed to make a connection that like there's some type of attraction or connection with the Orisha Oshun. For those who don't know, Oshun is the deity of the sweet waters, meaning waters that don't have salt because Yamaya is over, over the salt water. So Oshun is lakes. Oshun is rivers. Oshun is the Orisha of beauty and harmony. All of those beautiful, lovely things. Attraction. So she represents the energy of, of that attraction, of that beauty, of that harmony. So we see this attraction that Nola has to this particular Orisha because the mommy has the shrines. So um, the mom comes out. She greets Mars. She kind of greets Nola. She's kind of shady to Nola. It was kind of weird. And she's like, oh, the spirits have a lot to say or whatever. So then she goes to the kitchen. And the mom, we're supposed to, I guess we're supposed to assume that she is a priestess of something. I'm unclear what she's a priestess of, it could be Oshun because that's the main shrine that we saw, but she also had other shrines in the background, I noticed. So I'm not quite sure. We don't know that or I just missed it. Anyway, also say that we see, one of the shrines that we do see is to San Lazaro, uh, which I had to look up because I wasn't familiar. But I knew, I've heard of San Lazaro, but I didn't realize that it was Lazarus. So Lazarus is one of the individuals that Jesus, yes, Jesus Christ, performed a miracle on. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so one of the spirits that she was had in the home was of San Lazaro. Uh, I just wanted to name that because I thought it was interesting. And I think especially in a lot of uh, like Latinx cultures, especially uh, folks who are practicing ATRs, they have, as we know about Santeria, tend to practice and worship saints from Catholicism. And I actually think that this is an important moment to talk about Santeria a little bit. So I just want to read the definition of Santeria from Wikipedia, and I will put the link in the show notes, of course. So it says Santeria, also known as Regla de Ocha, or Re La Regla de Ifa, or Lukumi, is an Afro-American religion of Yoruba origin that developed in Cuba among West African descendants. Santeria is a Spanish word that means the worship of saints. Santeria is influenced by and syncretized with Roman Catholicism. 
Its sacred language is the Lukumi language, a remnant of Yoruba language that is used in rituals, but no longer spoken as a vernacular and mostly not understood by practitioners. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. It's not understood <laughs> if people are speaking it. But anyway, so that is Santeria. So it's the sort of like this blending of Catholicism and traditional Yoruba Ifa to create almost its own religion. Uh, and in uh, Wikipedia says the revised Yoruba religion. So this is the Yoruba religion of those of the diaspora. You know, those specifically who were taken to Cuba, uh, Puerto Rico, our ancestors who were taken to those spaces. And so that is how uh, Yoruba has and, and the Orishas have been able to continue to live because of that expansion, because of that movement and the reframing or reworking of the religion. And it was reworked and saints were added into the practice because, there, I mean, there's a few reasons and in th- theories why. One, it was dangerous, obviously, for our ancestors to practice uh, Ifa or Yoruba religion in the ways that they used to on the continent. They were not allowed to. They needed. They were supposed to start practicing Catholicism. It was dangerous to practice your indigenous religion. And so, you know, if on the forefront... They saw that like, okay, we have Orishas, the Catholics have saints. We can basically just syncretize our Orisha with the Catholic saints and it'll look like we're practicing Catholicism, but we really not though. You know, like it was sort of like a front. So we can say this deity, their deity is kind of like our deity. So, um, yeah, does that make sense? So like this particular saint of sickness and health, which is actually... Lazarus, San Lazaro, we can syncretize San Lazaro with, um, shoot, what is that Arisha's name? Um, ooh, Babaluae, that's it, Babaluae. So Babaluae is the Arisha of, like, infectious diseases, sickness, and then getting wellness from those particular diseases. And then San Lazaro is also a saint of infectious diseases and, and leprosy and things like that. And so they had similar... Um, deities or I'm sorry not really deities but figures that represented that so they could combine them another reason that people say that Santeria was sort of born was not only that ancestors were trying to hide through syncretization their own practices but also that there was a lot of mixing of Africans and Europeans and like relationally and that their children were trying to feel connected to both Catholicism and also traditional Yoruba. And so in in one way, it helped merge the religions together because at some points there was a lot of intermixing, a lot of intermingling. Now, this is what I something that I learned personally in Cuba, that that was a that was a theory in Cuba as to how Santeria became so popular, because there was a moment at least in Cuban history, where there was a lot of intermixing and intermingling. Now, the first thought in my head, obviously, I'm thinking of, was it like rape? Was this, were they talking about folks who were enslaving our ancestors, having relations with them, and then having children? And I think that's part of it. Obviously, how they presented, well, not obviously, but how they presented it was more like there was actually a lot of consensual intermixing. But we know you can't have consensual intermixing if some person is enslaved and some person is not enslaved. But maybe there was a moment 
you know, I don't know. I, just, I don't know. That's just a theory that I'm presenting. And so it was just a way to, because folks were, a lot of folks were mixing, then a new religion was created because a whole new, almost a whole new type of identity was created. Because remember, we just had the Tainos first, and then we had the Europeans come, and then we had our ancestors enslaved Africans, Africans come. So that's a whole new identity. That's a whole new race of people. And so with that whole new race of people created almost a whole new religion. So there we have that. So that is Santaria brought to you by Juju. Um, so <laughs> that's a very small, basic understanding of Santaria. So let's go back to PR, back to Puerto Rico, back to, uh, she's got to have it. Episode seven, season two. So, um, we see Mars's mom, we see the shrines, and then there's this moment where Mars said, I'm sorry, um, the mom, what is her name? You don't know say. Mars's mom, the priestess of Samorisha that we don't know, because <laughs> it has not been explicitly said, to my knowledge. She looks at Nola, and she goes, La hija de Oshun. And she tells Nola that, there are people that want to talk to her. So this is a moment where one, I think we're supposed to assess that the mom is a medium as well, that she's able to talk to spirit. She's not just a priestess, but she, she has, she talks to dead people. And we're also supposed to understand that, you know, Nola had that moment with the Orisha shrine of Oshun. And then the mom is looking at her and she goes like, La hija de Oshun, which means you're a child of Oshun, like child of Oshun. And saying that people want to talk to her. So then we see um, Mars's mom get up and she goes into the kitchen and makes a bowl of rice. She put, Well, actually, she puts it in a calabash, which in a lot of African traditional religion, at least, let me not say a lot, in the ones I'm familiar with, specifically Orisha tradition and Orisha worship, uh, ways that we can give offering to spirit is in a calabash. A calabash is a type of gourd that grows and they open the gourd, cut it, and use the skin of the gourd as a bowl, as cups. We drink out of it, give spirits offering in a calabash. So she grabs the calabash, puts some rice in it, and puts the calabash down by an indigenous spirit. I paused it because it was very quick because I wanted to see what shrine this was for. And on the candle in that particular shrine, it said the uh, seven Indian powers, which is a an acknowledgement of indigenous spirits of the land. So that that's basically what that is the seven Indian powers that's what those candles are called and for me it, it sort of represented the acknowledgement and giving offering to the indigenous spirits of the land which would be Tainos the Tainos people um, so she Mars's mom then goes to talk about they're sitting at the table eating and she basically sees Mars and Nola being in love. She kind of makes little comments around them needing to be together or that they are in love or that there's a relationship there that they're not fully stepping into. And Mars and Nola used to be lovers, but they're just friends now. They're dating. They dated other people. We're supposed to understand them as friends, but she's basically like, nah, y'all not just friends. So she says little things like that throughout, throughout dinner. And... So after that, Mars and Lulu, she sends them off to go run some errands because she wants to have a private conversation with Nola. So Mars and Lulu go off to do whatever. Mars is like, don't believe anything my mom says. He, 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 hoo, hoo, hoo. 
they go off. So my mom is looking at Nola and she's like, you know, she says Olofi, Orisha, and Egu know all the secrets. And she she's being a little bit cryptic and Nola's not really following. Um, so let me pause here and talk about Olofi, Orisha, and Egu. So Olofi is in Orisha tradition the ruler of the earth. Olofi is one of the manifestations of God, more or less, but yeah, of God, more or less. Orisha are obviously the deities that were sent to earth to be able to help humans do our, do our thing and not fuck up too bad. And then Egun are the ancestors. So she's saying, she's looking at Nola and saying that Olofi, Orisha, and Egun know all of the secrets. Uh, so also, uh, let me add, so Olofi is one manifestation of sort of this this source, this God energy. Olodumare is the creator of all. And then Olorun is the ruler of the heavens. So Olofi is the ruler of earth. Olodumare is the creator. And Olorun is the heavens. Boom. Also, let me add that Lulu, before she left, she had on a shango eleke. Eleke are the sacral beads that you might see people wear that are different different colors and what have you so lulu also has on a shango like i wanted to say shango shango is the orisha of um, lightning the orisha of drums and dancing and shango is the masculine just bad man pajama ladies man orisha that's that's shango all right so anyway She's talking to Nola. She's all looking at her. She's like, you know, I, I, you and Mars, y'all are connected, blah, 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 blah. But she goes on to say, you know, but I know that the spirits didn't drag you here for you to talk, for us to talk about Mars. Like we need to talk about your work, her paintings. So Nola is a painter, as I said a little bit earlier. And she's like trying to figure out her place and trying to navigate capitalism, trying to navigate getting paid for her work in New York and people and gentrification. And she's trying to talk about some of the things that as an, she's an activist. So she speaks through her art, her, through her activism, the things that she believes in. Um, but she's often come into contact with people who have tried to, which I think a lot of companies do and brands do they try to use artists who are like with the people and about the people and flip it to use for their own capitalist gain so Nola's sort of in the midst of that and trying to navigate that and so the mom is sort of speaking to that and obviously mom doesn't know these things so we have another example of how she's able to understand or see spirits or have some kind of ability to be able to know what's just going on with nola so she's saying that nola like you ain't doing your art right like you're not connecting with the people you you you're supposed to be out in the streets you're supposed to be blah 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 and you're supposed to be speaking for the people who can't speak for themselves is what mom says to nola and nola's kind of like okay, I don't, I'm, I'm trying, I don't follow. And then she, then she's, she's not understanding fully. And so then Nola gives her a little bit of backstory of what's going on and how she's trying to navigate her art. And the mom says, you know, let your eggoons hold the, hold the map. And she says, you know, we live in a cathedral full of our ancestors. And so Egun is ancestors again. So she says, let your eggoons hold the map. 
We live in a cathedral full of ancestors. And so Nola was like, well, how do I talk to them? How do I connect with them? How do I serve them? And mom says, they are our convictions. That's how you serve them. You serve your convictions. Our ancestors, our spirits are our convictions. I actually thought that part was very beautiful. You know, and how I understood that was, you know, this concept of our spirits being our convictions and our egguns, our ancestors being our convictions. Our convictions are the things that we feel strongly about. The things that we feel like we need to talk about, that we need to move towards, the things that make us excited, um, the things that we feel like we want to fight for, um, the things that fuel us. Those are our convictions. And so how do you serve your ancestors? You serve your convictions. That means you do the things that you feel like you need to do. You talk about the things that you need to talk about. You create space for what you need to create space for. You're moving with the things that you love, the things that make you feel passionate about life. It's engaging in that work. That's doing the work. That's serving your ancestors because those are the things that your ancestors want you to be doing. And I just thought, I was like, yes, that's how you serve your ancestors. You serve your convictions. Meaning, so for Nola's case, she knows that she wants to do work for the people and, you know, she wants to have her activism shown and she wants, but she also wants to make money. But mom is saying like, don't, don't sell out for somebody else because if you serve the things that fuel you and make you feel good, that'll be what gives you the result that you want in the end. And so Nola kind of held that and that scene ends. And so I... As a little recap of the scene with the mom and Nola, I thought it was cute. I thought it was cute. I, I liked it. Um, it was clear to me. It was, it felt very honest. I think the mom's home felt like a home with somebody who had Orishas. Like it just looked very natural. It looked, that scene was just very well put together. It looked like somebody's Ile or somebody priest's home. It really did. So I, I liked that. And again, this like, conversation around the convictions was cool. So then we see um, scene cuts and Mars and Nola are walking along the Atlantic Ocean in Puerto Rico. And there, there's another guy there who has like an Afro. He's so cute. And he's basically giving them a tour of San Juan, different spaces in San Juan, talking about the Spanish conquistadors coming and talking about enslavement and when that there were free Africans that actually came to Puerto Rico before enslaved Africans came. So like all the Africans that have come to Puerto Rico were not all enslaved people. So he's kind of giving them some backstory about that and saying, but you won't hear this in the history books. You won't hear this on the regular tours about Puerto Rico. And so they're just like taking in that information. And then there's a, we cut to another scene, like it's later that night and there's a dance party. And I mean, some things happened in between that, but not worth talking about right now. So they go to the dance party. They're all dancing. They're turning up, having a good time. And, you know, Nola and Mars have this little moment, this little one-on-one. They're being sweet with each other. They don't kiss or anything. They're still friends, but just kind of talking about their relationship. And it was cute. This scene was very gorgeous, by the way. It was a lot of gorgeous people. The shots of the people in this episode were bomb. The dancing was really great. The music, it just felt like we was in Puerto Rico in that moment when it was at the dance scene. Uh, so then next scene... 
at least that I'm going to talk about it cuts to uh, folks driving, I'm sorry, riding bikes in the streets of Puerto Rico. And there's an older man, there's a group of children singing a song about liberty and they go like, yo soy boricua, and they're on the bike and they're singing the song. That was actually a really, really beautiful scene too. And Mars and Nola are also on the bikes in the in the front while the kids and the older man are singing about being boricua and freedom and liberation of Puerto Rican people. And boom. So then, you know, we see scenes of Nola and Mars just exploring Puerto Rico, meeting people. And there's a moment where Nola is taking pictures and she takes a picture of a mural. And we see that this mural is of Oshun. So again, another interaction with this particular Orisha. And after Nola takes a picture of the mural, she sees a woman dressed as Oshun. So Oshun's color is yellow. So this woman has on a tall yellow head wrap. She has on a yellow little top and this yellow flowy skirt, you know, giving, um, giving lemonade teas, giving Beyonce, <laughs> giving Beyonce a lemonade, um, not hold up. What was the song? Oh yeah. What's hold up? Giving Beyonce lemonade hold up energy. So long, pretty beautiful outfit, brown skin woman. She had gold earrings. She had a cowrie shell necklace on giving us Oshun. So we were supposed to understand like that's Oshun walking by. So she looks at Nola. Nola looks at her and they have this very intimate moment. And Nola hears in her head, la hija de Oshun, which is what mom says. So child of Oshun. So again, clearly Nola is a child of Oshun because she's just having all these Oshun moments. So the next scene we have is they, uh, it says on the show like uh, that they're at Rio Grande de Loisa. And that is where the river meets the ocean. So that's the particular, I guess, body of water they were at, uh, Rio Grande de Luisa. And a man is fishing there and says to Nola, look, daughter of Oshun. <laughs> so again, clearly we, we supposed to take that, that Nola is Oshun's child. Okay. So the man says that, and the man has on this, those masks, and I can't think of the name of it, but a lot of folks in Orisha tradition wear them ceremonially. They're like beaded and they go over the face. And he had on a blue one. So like, it looked like a Yemaya. Like he had a Yemaya mask and he says to her, child of Oshu. So then we cut to another scene and they're still at the water. So, but this, it seems like a different day, but I think we're supposed to understand this is still the, um, the Rio Grande. And there's a Bembe. So a bembe, they're having a bembe. So Lulu is there, Mars is there, Nola's there, some community members there, Orisha worshipers, drummers. Bembe's are drummings. There's some people come around and you honor the Orisha, you sing and dance, you call on the Orisha, you get possessed with the Orisha, you you give offering to the Orisha. Um, it's just a, a space of celebration, celebrating the spirits, the Orishas. So everyone's wearing white as you do at bembe's. And it starts off with uh, Lulu dancing for, uh, yeah, as we know, she's a priestess of. So they're drumming, they're singing songs for Yemaya, Lulu is dancing, then there's other people dancing in the background for Yemaya. They're doing the, the dances that you do to call on Yemaya, to honor Yemaya. Each Orisha has a different dance. So when you're in the Bembe, if you're singing to Yemaya, you do certain things. When you're singing to Oshun, you're doing certain things with your body, singing to Oya, you're swinging your arm around, it's lit. If you can get to a bembe, <laughs> find a bembe. Bembe's be lit. So Lulu's dancing to Yemaya and 
then it, it sort of switches to Nola. We see Nola dance. We see Shemeca dance, which is the best friend. And it's this part was kind of funny because they're doing... They're definitely dancing West African dance, but like Yoruba dancing and dancing for the Orisha is different than what we see as like quote unquote West African dance. So like Nola and Shemeka are doing these dances that aren't true, that you don't traditionally see at Bembe's. And I just, I just noticed that because of someone who goes to Bembe's. I'm like, they are doing dances of like, <laughs> this don't seem like Yoruba Orisha dance, but okay, whatever. They, they don't know. This It's probably their first Bembe. They're going, they're just dancing. Either way, you dance how you dance, period. But it was just funny how they was like in the bimba and not doing like Orisha moves. So anyway, Nola starts to dance with this little girl who has on a yellow dress, I believe she had on, and a, and a blue hat. So if we were a blue head wrap. So if we remember this particular body of water that they're at is where the, the lake, what was it? Where the, where the river meets the ocean. So the Orisha of the river being Oshun and the Orisha of the ocean being Yamaya this particular bembe was probably to honor both Yemaya and Oshun because after the music transitions from Lulu dancing, then the, there's a girl with the yellow and blue on and then Nola's dancing and there's Oshun music. So then we start to hear um, songs that they sing to Oshun. And as Nola is dancing to the Oshun music, we she starts to like breathe heavy and then she starts to laugh. We just notice her, like her body starts to change and shift and you know, what, what it looks like possession. So when people get possessed with Orishas at Bembe's, which is just what happens at Bembe's, you know, it's, we see Nola experiencing this and you're supposed to understand like, okay, she's getting possessed. And so she starts, you know, she's breathing heavy. She's laughing, which is a sign that you're getting possessed by Oshun specifically. Oshun, gen generally, when she does come down to possess, people come down laughing. She's happy. She's like, of course, Oshun's going to come down laughing. So she's like, ha, 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 And then she starts to walk. Nola starts to walk backwards into the water, and she's standing at the water. And she has this moment. It, it's not very long. It's not a long moment of possession. It seems very, it's very quick. And then she hugs the little girl that she was dancing with and she goes, Oshun. She just says, Oshun, and hugs her. So <laughs> there were a lot of people who just, you know what? I ain't even gonna talk about that yet. She hugs the little girl and says, Oshun. And so after that moment of the possession, Basically, her and Mars are, it's the end of the bembe, and Mars and her are sitting at the waters. He's like, are you okay? You all good? She's like, yeah. He's like, do you want to stay in Puerto Rico longer? You can stay with us if you feel like you don't, you're not ready to go back to Brooklyn. She's like, no, I know I have to go back to Brooklyn. There's things I have to do, and I know I feel more secure in how to do them. So this moment of possession, she had a very spiritual experience, obviously, being in Puerto Rico, and I think just after interacting with Oshun in that way. She feels like she got the inspiration. She got the power. She got the connection to the spirits that she was trying to feel. And now she knows what she has to do when she goes back home. She had the conversation with Mars's mom. She went to a Bembe. She's all spirited out, feeling just possible and capable. I'm like, yes. And honestly, after you leave Bembe's, that is a common feeling, at least for me. Every time I leave a Bembe, I'm like, I can take over the world. Like the Orisha are everything. So yeah. And then so that's pretty much all of the spiritual 
uh, events that happened in this episode. But just to close it out, basically Mars, then we see Mars talking to his mom. His mom tells him that his daddy ain't his daddy. <laughs> like the man that he's thought was his dad his whole life ain't his dad. And his dad's real name is Mookie. And they don't know who Mookie is or where Mookie is at. <laughs> that was so, I thought that, that was so random. And then it ends with Mars is kind of leaving flowers at different places in Puerto Rico, at different cemeteries. He like um, a baseball player and someone else. He's just leaving. He's just honoring the dead folks. And then some other things happen. Then it goes on to uh, the next episode, episode eight. So that was at least the main things that happened specifically around the spiritual events in episode seven. So a lot, there has been different responses, I think, from the community of Orisha practitioners, priests, etc., around this particular episode. So I want to read a, a tweet from, her name is Beretta Scott K. And Alafia, which is someone who has been on a Little Digit podcast, posted this. And Beretta Scott K. said, Nola Darling about to have folks thinking they're a child of Oshun, practicing Santaria without being initiated, and that the most powerful attribute is their sexuality. Like all Oshun did was be cute, and all men and women desired her because she was such a good lay. Hashtag, that's not how it works. Whew, okay. So, we've talked about Oshun before on this show, especially in episode with Ialosha which I will link in the notes. Oshun is very beautiful. She is the Orisha of beauty. Oshun is sexual and not in a way that we go to some type of perverted sex, but just like the energy of, of sex. The energy of attraction includes sex. And so it's not surprising to me that they wrote Nola Darling being a child of Oshun just because of how we're supposed to understand Nola being free and an artist and and beautiful and, and not afraid to be sexual and attractive. It does, in a way, play into this stereotype, though, that Oshun is just all about sex and sexuality. Oshun, Oshun is just pretty and that's it. Oshun is just beautiful and that's it. Oshun is just femininity is that, that's it. Oshun is so much more than that. The Orisha are so much more than what we think of all of them anyway, because they represent natural forces. They're forces of nature. They are individuals. They are deity. They are, they're a lot. (laughs) They are a lot. So we can't even fully, I think, conceptualize all that in Orisha is anyway. But each of them has their their traits and their maybe their stereotypes or ways that people understand them. And I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this particular tweet. I think that people already, but before this show. A lot of people, specifically specifically women, feel a connection to Oshun and, be, and then move on to say that they are a child of Oshun because they feel that strong connection. 
And essentially the connection to me makes sense because if you are an Orisha of attraction, if you are an Orisha of beauty and femininity and harmony, that is something that people want. <laughs> that is something that people like. That is something that obviously people are attracted to because she is the Orisha of attraction. So I'm. it's not surprising to me why so many people like Oshun. It's not surprising to me this like, oh my God, I'm a child of Oshun because I feel beautiful today or I feel this sense of connection with her because this it's a powerful she she's she's alluring she's irresistible as Elosha says she's an irresistible deity and I think we can acknowledge that and I think a lot of people in the tradition are just so tired of Oshun being relegated to this in in this box of just being like maybe a sex symbol or something because even when Oshun is portrayed she's always very sexy she also ha- probably has the least amount of clothes on she's like you know and it's difficult because I think I get both sides of it. I, I understand the side of Oshun is more than that. Don't be out here saying that you're a child of Oshun just because you like to look cute and you like the color yellow, for sure. And I think that that attraction to Oshun is real and that's okay and not something that people have to make small just because they're not initiated. Because essentially, in Yoruba tradition, in Orisha tradition, I ain't no priest, but a lot of the priests that I've talked to are just like the Orisha are for everybody. The Orisha is just forces of nature that we all come in, uh, to contact with and have experiences with. So you can work with Oshun without building a shrine in your home. You can you can honor Oshun by just going to the waters. You can honor Oshun by taking care of the of lakes and rivers. You know, you can honor Oshun in, in that way. By giving offering to lakes and rivers. So Yes, people often try to make Oshun just seem like she's cute, cutesy pootsy. And it is important to name that Oshun is a warrior. Oshun does not play about her children. Oshun does not play at all. Oshun, Oshun, um, one of the Patakis, which is the the stories about the Orisha. Oshun said, fuck y'all. I'm shutting this shit down. I'm stopping the world. She took water from the world and said, I catch y'all on the flip side. And she had to be big. Like we need Oshun because people was trying to play Oshun. The other Orishas was trying to play Oshun that she wasn't important. And she's the quote unquote youngest Orisha. So we was like, whatever, we don't need Oshun. And Oshun said, oh, y'all don't need me. I'm gonna take all the fresh water. We are made up of water, (laughs) y'all. Water is everywhere. (laughs) We need fresh water. We need Oshun. We need Oshun energy. And Oshun said, bye y'all. And she and she's and, and that's that on that. So Oshun doesn't play. So she's more than just a sex symbol. She's more than just Oshun is a warrior. Oshun fights. There are so many different facets and faces of Oshun, which a lot of people don't maybe in the tradition might not understand. The Orisha are just not just one. There's not just one description of an Orisha. The Orishas have many faces. So there's a version of Oshun that is all about. Um you know, a money, wealth, and abundance. And then there's this version of Oshun that's still about those things, but who is a warrior. And then there's a version of Oshun that's married to Orumela. That particular Oshun is called Epetebi. And then there's another version of Oshun who um, is in love with Shango. And there's a lot, you know, so there's different versions of Oshun. <laughs> so every priest of Oshun and every priest of any Orisha is not going to be the same kind of priest as another like one, what I'm trying to say is like one Oshun priest might not be the same as another Oshun priest because they could be different Oshuns, if that makes sense. 
So the one, the Oshun that we understand in popular culture is the one that's beautiful, is the one that is sexual, is the one that is attractive, is the one that's just sweet and kind and loving and blah, blah, blah. And I just think that it's important for me to say that there are so many versions of Oshun. Okay. Under this particular tweet, another practitioner, excuse me, whose name is Taj Anwar Bayo. He starts to go on to say, a lot of you think you're Oma Oshun and you're not in his shows. Is this you? Are you folks? Don't be folks. Um, says a lot of other things. I want to just maybe speak to some of it. Um, claiming an Orisha prematurely is kind of like when you do a group project in school and one person does all the work, but another person gets to shine. So there are a lot of Orisha and there are more Orisha than the ones that we've heard of within the Pantheon. So there's like some Orisha that are very popular, but there's a lot of Orisha. I can't remember the name, the number right now, but I'm pretty sure it's like 200 something Orisha. And we talk about like nine of them. And then he goes on to say, for example, I'm a child of Obatala, for which I'm crowned a priestess of, and most of you have heard of Obatala, but my maternal guardian Orisha is Obanani. And unless you're a practitioner, you've probably never heard of her or don't know who that is. And you probably don't know that there are different versions of Obatala and that some of those versions are female. So Obatala is like the parent Orisha, the Orisha of the all whites, the Orisha of uh, a, a clear of our heads, of our, of our Ori, you know, sort of guiding us to make decisions from our, from our higher self or yeah, our Ori. And, and sometimes, um, Obatala is a woman as a female and sometimes Obatala is male. It just depends. Depends on it. Yeah. It just depends. So kind of switching between, between gender, depending on who you are. And so he goes on to say, that is why you should consult with a practitioner before you end up upside down on your left ear because you're messing with something you don't quite understand and you piss your ancestors off. And then he says, you know, you can't initiate yourself, read a book to become a priest or decide who you're a child of because of internet research. And that is true. And so then said, don't skip the steps, allow the crowns, meaning those who are priests and priestesses, to guide you. It's not an ego thing. It's a protocol thing. So uh, he says a little bit more, but I think you get the gist. So all in all, I think what Tajan Warbeo is saying, I hope I'm saying his name right, is that a lot of people, and this is true, just feel like because they're connected to an Arisha that they're claiming that Arisha, they're working with that Arisha, they don't know much about that Arisha, they could potentially be giving that Arisha offerings. And some Arishas have taboos, meaning things that they're not allowed to consume or have. So what if you're giving the Arisha a wrong offering? You don't know. So that's why it's important to find an elder. If you don't have an elder, pray for one. <laughs> pray to find one. Pray to your ancestors to find an elder. Because a lot of people want to skip the steps of honoring their ancestors, honoring their own lineage, and just jumping right into Orisha connection and Orisha worship. And many practitioners would advise against that, that I have talked to. Many would advise against that. You start with your ancestors, then you find the Orisha. And I don't think that means that we can't find them attractive. We don't do our, we should do our research. We should find the Orishas amazing and attractive. They are amazing and attractive. They are really cool. We can find commonalities between us and the Orisha, of course. And you don't want to put the cart in front of the horse. 
And I think a lot of practitioners have found that to be true. And also on top of that, you don't want to say like, oh, I love Oshun, I'm a child of Oshun. And then when you take your ass to the mat, meaning you go to divination, you go to ceremony or whatever, you find out that you're actually a child of Ogun. (laughs) And you've been sitting here praying, thanking Oshun for this, that, and the third. And meanwhile, Ogun like, that was me. Baby, that was me. So, you know, we don't have to just go and, and say who we're a child of. It, it, it doesn't, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but it, it's not where our focus needs to be. Because as Alafia said in her episode, which I encourage folks to listen to as well, if you haven't, we need to make, make connections with all the Orisha because they're all important. They are all important. We're going to need each and every one of those energies at different points in our lives. So you can be a child of Oshun, but right now you really might need some Orumila energy. Orumila is the Orisha of divination, of Ifa. So I get it. I get it. I get it. People are frustrated with it. But sometimes I feel like some the practitioners and us in the community need to chill out a little bit, especially around the Oshun thing, because it makes sense why people love Oshun so much, because she's the Orisha of attraction. She is she is the Orisha that I feel like has remained, she, who is most popular because she has remained relevant in a lot of different cultures. She has been able to change um, shape and form to be relevant to different types of people and what they look like. And, and honestly, she has been made like a standard of beauty Whatever a standard of beauty is in a culture, if they practice Orisha tradition, Oshun is going to look like that standard of beauty because she she morphs and changes. She's current as hell. So I don't know. I think that lay people who are not, you know, officially with an elder or part of the Orisha tradition, I think it's important to slow down a bit and make sure that you're doing your research and not claiming something that you don't have an elder to guide you in. And I think those of us in the tradition need to calm down a bit <laughs> and also let people explore and be there for people when they're trying to figure out what's going on and not be so condescending and like, I don't know. I think, I think there's, there's a balance that we need to find. Um, and, and we don't have to, and at the same time, we don't have to put Oshun in a box. Okay. Which we have. And I also want to say that a lot of practitioners are upset in the ways that people understand Oshun being very limiting. But in a lot of ways within the culture, we limit Oshun. We don't talk about Oshun being a warrior as much as we do her being sweet and being sexy and attractive and honey and all. Like, we do that too. So we create also this narrative. We work sometimes within the stereotype. We see someone and be like, oh, you a Shango? Oh, let me stay away from you. I know I can't date you. You probably cheat on me. Oh, you a Oshun? You probably have men at your feet. Oh, you were this, that, and the third. Oh, you a Oya? I ain't gonna mess with you because you gonna mess me up. Like we, 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 we say that to each other. So we also have to be honest. People who aren't in the tradition see that. They see what we are talking about online. They see the the memes that we are posting about the oceans. We they so like also if we don't want people to limit the Orisha, but we continue to limit the Orisha, then why don't we just start making more posts and have more communications around all the different faces of the Orisha? You know, I just I feel like yeah, I, I child, I don't know. People might be mad at me. I don't care. This is just my own personal view. Just, I'm just a little old Aberisha. <laughs> I'm just an Aberisha out here. I'm just a little child of Oshun just saying my piece on the situation. I just understand because also I was a 
uh, a Beyonce Oshun girl. So I was very attracted to Oshun for as well too. I didn't say I was a child of her, but I was like, you know, it's something with her. It's something with her. Something with her I really like. Something with her I really see in myself. But I took my ass to the mat, found elders, divination, and then it was confirmed that I was a child. So that's just what I wanted to say. That was my little spiel about that. Um, and so all in all, in regards to this particular episode, I don't think that it was terrible. Besides the, the things that I think is terrible about She's Gotta Have It in general, I don't think that this particular episode is doing anything that was negative for the culture. Because if anything, I think a lot of people were able to learn who might not have interacted with Orisha stuff or known what it was, they get to see it. And then that starts someone off in, to be able to research, to be able to learn, to be able to be like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is interesting. Who is Oshun? Let me, let me start my own journey because I've, she's kind of cool. She does seem kind of attractive. What's up with that? So everyone has a gateway. My gateway was Beyonce. I'm not afraid to say that. My gateway to the Orisha tradition was Beyonce in Lemonade. Okay. So she's got to have it might be somebody's. And that's okay. And I also want to say that I feel like as an Aborisha, I'm not a priest. But from what I've seen, I think it was a pretty accurate description. Like I said, the shrines, they look like real shrines. The offerings were set up how they normally are. The things that she was saying are things that people say in the tradition. Talking about Egun, it didn't feel commercialized I mean it did feel commercialized a little bit just with all the like little Oshun stuff with Nola and also she didn't actually have divination to confirm she was a child of Oshun so that was kind of (sighs) yeah okay I get that she didn't take her ass to the mat but besides that it felt very real the Bembe was real the songs they were singing are songs that I've sang at Bembe songs that I've danced to Songs that I dance to. So it felt like a good, I'm okay with that being a gateway to people who might not have had interactions with the Orisha. I really am. I'm okay with that episode sparking someone to do more research around the Orisha. Yeah, I am. I am. I can't lie. But again, there is something to be said about, you know, you can't, just because a medium sees you and goes, oh, you're a child of Oshun. That doesn't mean that you're a child of Oshun. You have to have a divination, an official <laughs> divination to confront with an Orisha priest or a Babalao or Yanifa or something to be able to confirm that you are a child of that particular Orisha. So even if you keep coming across signs of Oshun and pictures of Oshun and whatever, that doesn't mean that you're a child of Oshun or any other Orisha. Even if you have a dream about an Orisha, it doesn't mean that you're a child of that Orisha. So we, we do have to keep that, we do have to keep that in mind. Um, so I would say in, in that part of the episode, just because she looked at her and said, you're a child of Oshuna doesn't mean that. And people have said that to me before I was, before I took my ass to the mat, or even after I took my ass to the mat, people would always say like, I know you're a child of Oshun. And I'd be like, I am. <laughs> yeah, you happen to be right. I, I am a child of Oshun, but just be, that, that, that doesn't mean that I am just because people will see that in me. But I think in a, a lot of the stereotypical ways of how we understand Oshun and how Oshun children are, I fit into that. I will say I definitely fit into that. But just because a medium says it don't mean it is, it has to be divined on. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hope that this was helpful. I hope that y'all... 
um, appreciated or got something out of this review. Again, overall, I liked the episode. It was really historically grounded. The images were beautiful. There were so many black. It, it really showed a lot of black people in Puerto Rico. Like a lot of black. I mean, black people. There are black Puerto Ricans. Duh, Afro-Latinas. But it showed it. And I appreciated that imagery. I appreciated this grounding in like morenas, you know, and black people being on the island because they are on the island. A lot of times when we think about Puerto Ricans, we think about a certain type of person, a certain type of complexion, a certain type of hair. And that's not necessarily true. This Puerto Ricans range in color and in hair texture and style and all of that. So yeah, I really, really like that. I enjoyed the episode and let me know what y'all think. I, I'm, I'm curious to, to what you all think about the show. If you haven't checked it out and you listen to this, I would go see the show for yourself. I would watch, I would watch both seasons. I do. I, I recommend it to people, even though with the caveat of, I think that it is kind of corny as hell, <laughs> but there's good things in it. And I appreciate seeing something with good things in it, even though I find it to be very corny and in season one, kind of deeply problematic. So I hope you all enjoyed that review of She's Gotta Have It, season two, episode seven. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of A Little Juju Podcast. I really enjoyed this episode. It was fun. <laughs> As always, you can find me on social media. On Ju- I'm Juju Bay on Facebook. I'm It's Juju Bay on Instagram, I T S J U J U B A E. And I'm also It's Juju Bay on Twitter. I never tweet, but I'm trying. Am I really trying? Not really, but kind of. Again, if you want to keep up with the conversation, see who else is listening to a little Juju podcast, talk about this episode. Hashtag A L J Pod or a little Juju podcast is how you can do that. Um, book a reading with me. If you like on my website, I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E, and that's also where you can contact me for any sort of media requests. If you're trying to hire me for something, if you want to flu me out, if I'm trying to get flued out, you know what I'm saying? Anything like that, if you want me to come and speak on ATRs or whatever, send me a message. And I think that's it. I appreciate you all. I thank you all. And I will see you in a couple weeks. And remember, all you need is a little juju. Later, y'all.